take a French comedy play about an Italian-American gangster in 1930s New York filmed in Orlando, and there's only one thing you can do. Make the star a guy who made the steps in Philadelphia famous and have it directed by the guy behind Beverly Hills Cop 3. No atlas needed for this one as we attempt to prove to you that 1991's Oscar is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. And I am going to put a full disclaimer on this episode right now. The opinions you are about to hear come from people who are extraordinarily biased because we are talking about a film that we absolutely love. That's because we are talking 1991's Oscar. And here to join me on this episode is the boss, my lovely wife, Carrie. Carrie, how are you doing today? <laughs> the boss. I like that. You're supposed to say, you know, don't stop calling me boss. And it's it's on record too. I so. know, right? Nice. Okay, so when we were you know coming up with films to cover for for this week's show, and we're like, oh wait, Oscar qualifies, and it really qualifies. Your initial reaction was, how? Right? Did they, were they watching a different movie? I, I maybe they were watching the 1967 film. Perhaps the other guy, Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> Please, sir, can we have some more funny Stallone? <laughs> But this, it's it's fascinating because I never, I mean, yes, I fully recognize that we were probably going to have to talk about some kind of Stallone comedy film because Stallone and comedy are not usually the things that you put together. But I, I got mad love for this film. So but he's it's, very funny. I know. That's the thing. very charming. He is funny when he chooses to be funny. Like it's, again, this is going to be a very, very biased episode. You have two people who absolutely love this film. There's zero stretch of the imagination as to how how we're going to feel like when we're talking about this one. There are some episodes where we come into this with a little bit of trepidation saying, how the hell are we going to make this film sound good? There is zero trepidation with this one. This is a damn good film. Critics be damned. But before we go down that road, before we dissect the 1991 Stallone comedy, which I can't believe I put those two words together, but here we are. We need to take the movie Oscar and trailerize it. He saved POWs left behind in Vietnam. He's knocked out every contender for the title belt. He's even proven that he should leave the singing to his brother. Now the only thing left to do is to make gangsta life funny. Sylvester Stallone stars in Oscar. Thinking that the laughs from Rocky V were proof that Stallone was funny, the Italian stallion takes his funny bone out for a ride in this adaptation of a French play no one had heard of until this film. With a cavalcade of stars, a bevy of gags, and more talent than Stallone is usually has around him, it's a film that will have you saying, stop, or he'll shoot a movie with Estelle Getty. Oscar, rated PG, for the play is greater. <laughs> I had to get the Estelle Getty thing in there because this film came out one year after Rocky V, which is probably the worst Rocky film that ever Rockied, and one year before Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, which 
I'm not going to lie. I've never watched it because seeing Sylvester Stallone and Estelle Getty on the screen together is just like, no, no, they're, they're, these are two things that shouldn't exist together. Oh, I think it would be charming. I haven't seen it. But I mean, I mean, don't, cute. don't get me wrong. Estelle Getty for the win in anything. But I, I just, you know, it's it's going to be hard to watch a film where Estelle Getty basically carries a 200 pound Italian weight on her shoulders through the entire film. I'm just saying. But let's talk about 1991's Oscar here. This movie stars Sylvester Stallone, Ornella Muti, Marissa Tomei, Tim Curry, Chaz Palminteri, Donna Michi, Kurtwood Smith, Kirk Douglas, and a ton of others. This was one of the first credited film roles for one Marissa Tomei. Prior to this, she was in Playing for Keeps and The Flamingo Kid. It was the first ever film for Elizabeth Barrandess who played Teresa, and it was the third, the first theatrical film role for Jocelyn O'Brien who played Nora, the maid. However, there was an almost starring. Originally, this film was pitched to be made in the 80s with John Belushi as Snap's Provolone. And then John Belushi died and the, the, the project got shelved for a while. Um, I don't know if I can picture John Belushi in this role. I really can't. Hmm. Uh, no disrespect because he was quite funny in his own right. But I just, I can't picture anybody else but Stallone. Now, there was another iteration of this movie, you know, in the works as well. Uh, that movie would have been directed by Charles Crichton, who was the director of A Fish Called Wanda, and it would have starred in the role of Snap's Provolone, Danny DeVito. No. No? No. Again, a very funny man. Um, can I just put it out on Friend Street? You, you need, like, that handsome gangster because of the storyline as it goes Mm -hmm. right like i don't think devito (laughs) are we using the danny devito rule on on snaps provolone right now i i don't i can't see you know stallone has the beautiful wife Mm -hmm. the um you know the the beautiful daughters right daughters Two of them. Yeah, the one he didn't know about, yeah. Exactly. And again, the mistress or at the time, like he was just coming up. So, you know, young love, right? But but this may this may actually be a way to use the Danny DeVito rule in in actual context here. Okay, enlighten me. Okay. What is the DeVito rule? Okay, so the Danny DeVito rule is this, all right? You take a character who's, you know, by by definition, if you will, or at least by their actions, they should be a bad character, a bad person in the film, right? Take Fifty Shades of Grey, for instance, okay? Christian Grey, by what he does, is not a good person. Are you suggesting putting Danny DeVito... In Fifty Shades but of Grey. Hear me out. Hear me out. Okay, <laughs> but but because he's handsome and rich and suave and all of that kind of thing, you overlook the fact that he's got a thing for whipping for whipping. You know, Dakota Johnson here. You put Danny DeVito in that role, and all of a sudden, like, just I wish this was a video podcast because the look on your face made it look like you were about to throw up all over the microphone. I, I just I can't see. 
I can't see it, right? Like, mm. to see Stallone as the reformed gangster, the bad guy turned yeah. good because of a promise to his dying father. Like, even just taking the slaps, you know, <laughs> from his dad before he passed away. Papa, no. like, it, it was, you know, Stallone played it so well, right? Because I see Stallone and I'm like, he could, he is like freaking Rocky. He's a tough guy. Yeah. Right? Tough guy, but his papa mm. is mad. You, and you don't mess with his papa. He made a dying wish, mm-hmm. you know, or dying request that he would turn his life around. And, and so, you know, he has to. Now, right? appa- apparently, it's it's funny you mentioned that scene, right? Because apparently, uh, in doing the research for this, apparently at the the, the AMI Awards or something like that, Kirk Douglas was given a life award. And they, they talked about that scene, right? And apparently it was... Um, you know, he swung and missed, right? You know, a, clearly a film slap, right? You, you, you know, they'll put the slap in in post, right? And Stallone's like, no, 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 hit, hit me. You know, and Kirk Douglas is like, what? He's like, no, go ahead, hit me. You know, hit me, hit me with what you got. Kirk Douglas played Spartacus. <laughs> Kirk Douglas slapped the ever-loving <laughs> out of Sylvester Stallone, to which Stallone's like, I learned you never mess with Spartacus. Like, Love it. Right. Now, John Landis, of course, is the director of this film. Landis's first choice to play Snaps Provolone was not Stallone. It was, in fact, Al Pacino. Hmm. Even no, because I don't know if I could see him being so funny. Oh, Pacino Stallone, can be funny, but... Stallone, though, he towed the line between what could be a tough guy gangster to like just a really genuinely funny guy. Like he, he really is. He's a, he's a family man. Yeah. Right. And he wants the best for his daughter. And even in spite of all of this badness going on, his accountant stealing from him and then constantly like, getting his money back and then losing it again. Like he just kept such humor. Yeah. You know, and instead of being a tough guy and like actually popping someone, he like took away all of his Crooney's guns and weapons, which is the funniest (laughs) scene. (laughs) You know, he's just going through every pocket and pulling out every weapon you could imagine. Yeah. Um, and then, and then the chicken leg. <laughs> oh, now, this brilliant. film, as much as we love it, uh, it did not fare well when it first came out. Uh, at the 12th Annual Razzie Awards, Stallone was nominated for Worst Actor that year. He lost to Kevin Costner for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which kind of shocks me because, I mean, I, I get, I get... Right, the whole the whole thing about you know, hey, you're gonna make a Robin Hood film. Why don't you get a guy with a you know a proper British accent? Um, I didn't think Prince of Thieves was that bad, but I when I saw that, I'm like, how, how, who the hell else was nominated that year? So let me go through who else was nominated for worst actor that year. Okay, Bruce Willis for Hudson Hawk, uh, another movie that we have discussed on this show. Andrew Dice Clay for dice 
And then probably the person who should have won it. Vanilla ice. For cold as ice. (laughs) How? How? Wow. Like... I mean, say say what you will about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I thought Kevin Costner did a pretty damn decent job, but it's a wonderful film. Sylvester Stallone is absolutely wonderful in this. How did Vanilla Ice not win that award? That is shocking. Like, you, you, who listened to Vanilla Ice back in the day. Oh, yeah. Are now, currently now, shaking your head at the fact that Vanilla Ice and In Cold is Ice. Because as good at the time... As Vanilla Ice's music. You said that with a straight face. <laughs> His acting ability, however. Hmm. The acting ability you put in saying Vanilla Ice had good music is better acting ability than Vanilla Ice had <laughs> in Cold as Ice. Although that being I'd said. I'd like to thank the Academy. Right. Now that being said, I think at some point we may have to cover Cold as Ice. You do realize this. Ooh. Mm-hmm. We're going to go down that road. Uh, also, at the 12th Annual Razzies, Marissa Tomei was nominated for Worst Supporting Actress. <gasps> she lost to Sean Young in A Kiss Before Dying. Also, John Landis was nominated for Worst Director. He lost to Michael Lehman for Hudson Hawk. And the film was given a dishonorable mention at the 1991 Bad Movie Stinkers Awards. Uh, the movie that won that year was Nothing But Trouble. Now... That didn't really help it at the box office. This film, according to IMDb, has a budget of $35 million. And I do, I have to put this out there, that I'm I'm willing to cut them a lot of slack. Because apparently while they were filming one night, uh, there was a massive fire on set and they lost cars and wardrobe and the whole works and had to shut down production for two weeks uh, in order to be able to get things uh, back in place. Apparently, one of the crew members started the fire. So there, there's there, like there, arson, or like by arson. Accident? No, I don't know if it was arson or by accident. I really don't know. But on IMDb, it said that one of the crew members started the fire. It did not say whether it was arson or not. But they lost a they lost two weeks of production time and a lot of the set pieces and could have been wardrobe. anything from like smoking on set. Yeah, the amount of hairspray that no doubt. <laughs> Marissa that, that everyone used but it's funny because like, this was at one of the first films filmed at hollywood studios in orlando so yeah the, when they mentioned that uh marissa tomei uh, met someone at club 33 at the speakeasy club 33 apparently is a secret club hidden in hollywood studios in oh, orlando at walt disney like a real thing it's a real thing apparently Ooh. Now we have to go find it. I want to go to there. Hey, dear Disney, I would love to do an episode at Club 33 about anything they mentioned. We should we should have recorded this in Orlando. <gasps> I know, we right? We could go back. We could. We could we could stop right now and then Disney could bring us up to Club 33 and then we'll do the show again, right? Well, you know, I mean, if uh dear Disney, dear Disney. if you would like to invite us to the Star Wars Galactic <laughs> Star Cruiser Hotel. We will defend the crap out of the indefensible Rise of Skywalker if we get to do it at Disney. Right? 
I like it. Let's Please do it. make it so. But getting back to the numbers here. So uh, budget, $35 million. A worldwide gross only of $23.5 million. However, when it was released on the April 25th, 1991 weekend. Sorry, April 26th. I can't read apparently. Uh, it debuted at number one. With a $5 million take. Uh, it debuted over other debuts that, that week. A Kiss Before Dying and Toy Soldiers, which were two and three respectively. Um, also in the, the, you know, the top ten that week. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. The Secret of the Ooze. You know, it's funny. When you were talking Vanilla Ice, I was totally going to mention Ninja Turtles. That was number seven that week. How... I, I am curious on the rating of that. Uh, I need to check that. We will have to check that. But the rating for this one is why we're talking about this. Right. Uh, this film has a meta score of 47. And then over on Rotten Tomatoes, it has an audience score of 63%. So clearly the audience knows what we're talking about here. I actually find it low, though. Uh, possibly. Possibly. But the, I mean, there are things I could see why. But 63% is going to sound really high when you realize that the tomatometer on this is a whopping 12%. Ugh. Like it's, 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 that's low. And in comparison to this play was made into a film in 1967 called Oscar as well, starring Louis Dufune. And apparently I'm, I'm, I'm apologizing right now. Okay. I'm, Probably messed up that name. That film, no tomatometer, but it has an audience score of 83%. Um, and apparently uh, Louis de Funay, again, apologize if I messed up the name, played the role of of Snaps, you know, of, of the gangster in the actual stage play. So it's one of those things where uh, it was a known commodity kind of thing. Um, this is one of those films where we talk about a lot because... It is a stage play adapted for screen. Did this make, because I know your love of live theater. Mm-hmm. Did this, did that make you love this film more? You know what? I, yes, I think possibly, but on its own as a movie, I think, I think it was very well done. Like, I mean, I would be curious to have seen the stage play to compare them. Mm-hmm. So I really can't speak to that because I haven't seen the other side of things. But even, you know, as we were watching it before recording, I said, so this is a stage play, right? Like, oh, cause completely, it's yeah. So, it is so, it's, I think, obvious in how it was produced. And I'm not sure if they meant to do that, if that was by design. Because, I mean, as a movie... It is perfectly fine as a standalone, but there's just so many different scenes, almost different Mm -hmm. acts of it where you're like, yeah, okay, I can see where they would have like the set change or the costume change. Mm -hmm. Right. Or, you know, like you could you could just picture um, the stagehands bringing the set pieces out. Yeah. Like it is very much in the style of the stage play with the acts. Oh yeah. I mean, like you could tell, I mean, just by the dialogue alone that it's a stage play because it, it it reads like a stage play, right? You could see those, those little one-off lines kind of thing, the the kind of things that make the audience laugh that much harder. Um, And there are a few actors in this where I would love to see them on stage doing this live. Um, 
some where I could I could sit there and say, okay, get a stage actor. But there were some where I'd be like, no, no, let's let's put them on the stage. It'd be fun. It'd be fun. But let's get to the breakdown of this. And we need to start with Snaps Provolone himself. Sylvester Stallone. Um, your thoughts on the man? Oh, just wonderful. Like, again, he was so funny and charming and perfect. Like, as a reformed bad guy gangster. Um, yet again, a loving father and family man. Right? So, um <laughs> I found it was so charming, the storyline that, you know, everyone has to speak to him. It's a matter of life and death. Yeah. Right? Um, Again, and, that, that's very stage dialogue, too. That's like oh, I know. Straight out of the stage play, and, yeah. You know, and just the fact that it was like the the ongoing, you know, like basically the the, the connection between all the different scenes. Um it was so, it was just so funny. He's so he's so funny, but Stallone has a way of delivering a line and then it's just in his face. Like he it's not even the humor is not necessarily in the line being spoken, but in his facial expression. Mm-hmm. And I think as a stage play that might be lost the further back that you sit. Um so I think as a movie it was a better choice. Oh, no. He, he definitely gave a good screen performance of Snaps. Um, yes, you're right. I think a lot of the nuance of his performance would have been lost on the stage, especially if you're, you know, you can't afford the good seats kind of thing. Um, I'm going to say something real controversial here. Ooh, bring it. As many roles and, and as iconic roles as Stallone has portrayed and created for the big screen... This is in the top five of all Stallone films for me. I agree. But here's the here's the controversial part. In that top five, there isn't a single Rocky movie. There isn't a single Rambo movie. And there isn't a single Expendables movie. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Hit me with the top five. And P.S. I would say I agree. I am not so sure that Stallone himself would agree. Maybe not, but I think, I think he had a ton of fun making the film, though. Um, I think there was an article where he said that there was only one film that he wished he hadn't done, and that was Rhinestone with Dolly Parton. Now, he did say that Dolly Parton was one of his more favorite female co-stars to work with because it's, it's Dolly Parton. Let's, let's call it what it is, right? But, I mean, like, if you're looking at my top five as far as Stallone films, it's this... Okay, it's playing John Spartan in Demolition Man because Demolition Man is just a gem. I strangely love him as Judge Dredd, right? That's it was fun. Loved him in Tango and Cash because, again, Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell just trying to one up each other. Tango and Cash is it's just a gem of a film. And then the, the, the dark horse in this is Daylight. He plays a guy by the name of Kit Latura. Uh, he gets stuck in one of the New York tunnels when an explosion goes off on either end, and he has to get the people who are stuck in the tunnel out from under the tunnel because, of course, it's it's under the Hudson, right? So it's, it's typical Stallone kind of action film, but there was just something about 
that character for him that really worked well for me because the thing with Rocky and the thing with Rambo is that these characters became larger than life right and I, you know I'll admit I do appreciate Rocky 4 I think more because of the soundtrack and the montages because it was and it was of the time really but I mean those five films you know this and the other four like that's prime Stallone for me it's interesting because I was going to say you picked most of his comedic work and kind of overlooked again. Well, the, I don't know if Judge Dredd can be counted as he comedic work. He was funny. He, he was fun, but I don't know if he was funny. Daylight's not a funny film. Daylight's one is one of his more. I mean, that's kind of up there with Cliffhanger, but I I wasn't the biggest fan of Cliffhanger. But Daylight was one of those, you know, and, and movies like Lock Up, right? Like these are films that I think are are underrated as far as Stallone's overall filmography go. But that's just me. Moving on. Anthony Rosano. Little Anthony. Is played by Vincent Spano. How was Little Anthony for you? (laughs) He was fantastic. Oh, he was... You know what? He played it so well. Like, he could basically deliver the news that he has been stealing from a gangster. Mm -hmm. Right? And it's okay because the intention was to turn and save and give it back to his daughter as a wedding gift. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the provolone's daughter as yeah. a wedding gift, right? So it it was so funny. And the story itself is just so, it's so cool. Like when you think about it, right? Like it was very clever. Um, and I think he played it brilliantly. Not going to lie. This film was done today, and they, the, I'm sure they would interject some little gag about, you know, Anthony hitting his step count for the day because he was back and forth and back and forth with all different bags and whatnot. But I think he was at his best when he was, you know, going tete-a-tete with Stallone. Like, just the two of them playing off of each other. And I think that's what I liked about Stallone is that it wasn't an overbearing role. It wasn't a, ma- this was not a macho role for Stallone. Right? It wasn't. The only thing I can say, and again, he played it well. However, and I think this was part of the, you know, adapted to screen stage play mm-hmm. or the the dialogue. But it was almost kind of like some of the scenes between the two gentlemen, it, he was just delivering a line. Right? Instead of like an actual conversation, it was very much like deliver the line and wait for the, you know, audience laughter, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, and and just the way it was scripted, there were a few lines that was delivered and it was like, okay, well, that's almost kind of expected. Like like his his whole, like, I stole it from you, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, or he's like, where, where did you get, you know, $50,000? I stole it from you. Like, yeah. Yeah. The 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 cajones on this guy. <laughs> yeah. I I wonder, and I I know they would probably never do it. I would love to see someone take this film and put in a laugh track. I'd be curious how that would play. I think that's what was missing. Although I was laughing throughout the the viewing of this movie, like in all the right. <laughs> 
places. So, I mean, yeah. you know, I was still hearing the laughter. It was just coming from me. You know, it, it reminds me, and we, we, um, Kevin, uh, Kevin Helston, my co-host on Just Another Nerd Show, and I have talked about this kind of thing um, over on Just Another Nerd Show, uh, especially when it regards to Spider-Man No Way Home. There's the scene where Andrew Garfield jumps out of the portal kind of thing, and they leave a beat in the, uh, in, in the movie, right? Because they know people are going to lose their ish in the theater. But it's really different when you watch it at home because he hops out of the portal and then there's a beat and no one does anything and then it picks back up it's it is it's missing that audience reaction and you see it sometimes on youtube where people will you know bring their phones into the the movie theaters and they'll they'll film it not necessarily for to spoil the film they'll film it for, to hear the audience reaction and even you know during the pandemic one year after endgame was released people were watching reaction videos from Avengers Endgame on YouTube and just hearing the theater crowd lose their absolute when they were talking, when Captain America finally says, Avengers, assemble. People lost their That was the moment that they had been waiting for for over a decade and they lost it. Those words were spoken finally and people lost their ever loving minds. And during the pandemic, when people couldn't go to see movie theater or movies in the theater, those moments were gone. This film, I would love to see this film with an appreciative live audience and hear their laughter. And it does, it makes the film enjoyable more. It's like watching a sitcom without a laugh track, right? It's, something's missing. Mm-hmm. Something's really missing. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Moving on. This is where I think the stage play really comes into play here. Marissa Tomei as as Lisa. Stallone played this very well for the cameras. 
right? Again, you mentioned it, the nuances in the way he played snaps. Lisa played this like she was on stage, right? Very over-exaggerated, very loud, very pronounced. Like her performance, you could literally copy and paste that, put it on stage, and it would feel right in place. Mm -hmm. But how was Marissa Tomei for you? Oh, she was so cute. She was so cute. I absolutely love the crying scene where like Stallone just snaps his fingers and she stops on cue. Ah, It's like, (laughs) (laughs) oh my God. You could tell like she was made for this character Mm -hmm. or she made this character. Um, Like it, it was, it was just so perfect. Everything. I am really, really glad. And not that I've seen anywhere that she was ever in consideration, but I'm so glad they didn't put someone like a Fran Drescher in this. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and I think that's the thing, too. This is nothing against Marissa Tomei, okay? But her voice in this film does bring back memories of Fran Drescher. Oh, that's not fair. But it's it's not her, though. It's the character she's playing. But- she's playing Lisa in a way that that makes you think Fran Drescher. Just from a from a vocal standpoint, yeah. But I mean, the the character of a spoiled, like, well-to-do family. Mm-hmm. You know, here's what I don't understand, though. If she wants to get out of her parents' house, how was it that she hooked up then with uh, Oscar? With the because she snuck out and went to the speakeasy at Club Thirty Three. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but ha- like, I don't know. How did you, how was she sneaking out? Was it the maid that was helping her sneak out? I don't know. That's That looks like something Nora would probably do, especially because Nora was the one who was talking to her and consoling her afterwards. Kind of thing. <laughs> and um, ill-advising her. But I mean, but there's the thing, like, I don't, I do understand to a point why Marissa Tomei would have been nominated for Worst Actress because it's a very loud role. It really is. It's over the top. But you could see it being legit, though. Like, but that, but that's the thing. If she knew that this was taken from a stage play, and I wonder if she went and saw the stage play, her portrayal of Lisa is a very stage-like portrayal, and I love it because of that. Because the rest of the film does feel like a stage play with a bunch of cameras filming it. Like, I love it. She played it perfectly for the way Landis directed it. So, you know, to the Razzies, uh, f- you. <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there. She played it very well. But on the other side, the other daughter, Elizabeth Barondis is playing Teresa. She was the complete opposite of Lisa. So looking at Teresa, you know, the other daughter, you know, the one who's not Lisa, <laughs> right? How is it? What other daughter? (laughs) The one who's not Lisa. (laughs) We don't have another daughter. (laughs) Um, How was Teresa for you? You know what? Um, At first I thought, oh, she's cute as a button. She just turns up and she has this confidence that she just walks right into a gangster's house and basically introduces herself and says, yeah, I kind of said that you were my father. Um, Like that, that is, that is a bold move right there. Yeah. Um, So, you know, at first I thought, wow, she's really 
confident and really, you know, um, together. And then I don't know that, that whole scene where they broke up and then she realizes she can't live without him. And then it's almost kind of like, okay, this is just scripted now. Like the, mm-hmm. like she, she kind of lost it for me. I don't know how to explain it. And it wasn't anything really that the actress did in the performance. It was just kind of like the character itself. I think they picked the perfect personality for her, at least in comparison to, like she is, she's a direct contrast to Lisa, mm-hmm. right? And she needs to be, right? Because she's the one who's basically telling lies in order to get Anthony to to like her because it makes her seem more interesting. You know, so unknowingly, Lisa, I guess, then would be the interesting sister, you know, uh, that she didn't know she really had. But I think she also played very well against Anthony, right? Like, I don't, I don't know who you cast in that role in 1991. Maybe, maybe Jennifer Grey, who of course played Baby in Dirty Dancing. You Would think? Scarlett Johansson have been too 19, young? 19, oh, yeah, 1991. Heck no. Yeah, she should be way too young. Too young. But I think Jennifer Grey would have made a, de- especially when you consider how Jennifer Grey played Ferris Bueller's sister. In Ferris Bueller's Day Off. How about a Julia Roberts? I don't know. I, th- I think Julia Roberts would be too too larger than life. I think you needed someone who's a bit more subtle. Very plain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, a very and, plain, pretty, but a plain Jane. Right, but right? she played that very well. And you could you could very much see the difference of coming from money and wealth and yeah. fame and stature yeah. with Lisa. Julia Roberts is too glamorous for that role. Yeah, but I think I mean they they could have very much with costuming and makeup down played her. I may, maybe it's just me, right? Julia you, you cannot tone down Julia Roberts. You can't, mm. right? It'd be like Aaron with, Brockovich? Even still though. Right? You can't tone that down. It would be like taking Nicole Kidman. You cannot tone Nicole Kidman down, especially not in 1991. Jennifer Grey, you could have. Maybe an Ali Sheedy, but I think with Elizabeth Baroness, I think she did a very good job, but I, I do agree that some of the delivery didn't work as well, at least not, not as stage as Lisa. Lisa is definitely the more stage sister than Teresa. But let's talk about Lisa, Lisa's mother, not Teresa's mother, but Lisa's mother. Sophia, as played by Ornella Muti. What were your thoughts on Sophia? Oh, she was great. My baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have to be honest here, okay? Ornella Muti has a, and again, apologies if I am messing up names. Remember me, idiot, basement microphone. Okay, good. I'm going to put that on a shirt. Me, idiot, basement microphone. That's about it. I want the Very Carry Movie t-shirt. Apparently, we need merch in 2023. That's yes. going to happen. Make it happen. Yep. Unfortunately, we would try and sell it on Twitter, but who knows if Twitter's going to last. Um, but or we'd have to give Mr. Musk a cut. Yeah. That, no. Yeah. He gets nothing. No. Nothing. Um, Ornella Moody has a very, very long and distinguished filmography. I know her from only two movies. This one and Flash Gordon. And I loved her in both. 
like in Flash Gordon, she is, you know, the, you know, Emperor Ming's queen kind of thing. Like she's very regal and very, you know, not evil per se, but definitely not on the side of Flash Gordon. And here she is. She's just the perfect gangster wife in this. Like the look, the the demeanor, and I think she actually made Stallone better on screen. Oh, very much. Like I love that, you know, as as much as he's a tough guy, you know, his wife really is the boss yeah. <laughs> in that household. But I mean, and again, like I, I say it, Snaps Provolone was, you know, is a bad guy, right? He's a gangster, but this isn't a macho role for him. No, he's a heart of gold. He Again, does, he's a yeah. family man. Yeah. Like, and I think that's why I love Stallone in this so much. Mm-hmm. It's so the role on paper works for him. The characterization is so counter to what he had built up to that point that I love it even more. And I think that was helped by the goons around him. So let's talk Connie. It's played by Chaz Palminteri here. How was Connie for you, huh? Oh, <laughs> you know what? Let's just put it out there. I loved all the characters and picking my MVP is going to be very challenging <laughs> on this one because everybody played their roles so well. But yeah, with Connie, right? Like, yeah. Like straight up the lovable idiot in oh, this. Oh my God. Right? And, hey boss. Don't call me boss. <laughs> Sorry boss. Sorry boss. But I mean, there's the scene where him and Snaps are sitting on the couch and like they're literally trying to wrap their heads around the everything that's going on and the bank, the, ba- the back and forth between the two of them. Like. <laughs> yeah. Watch my daughter. Which daughter? <laughs> Which daughter? You know, Wait. Teresa, the one's not Lisa, right? <laughs> um, you know, Who's Teresa? Don't take your eyes off this bag, right? <laughs> like, I, I, he's such a lovable idiot in this. Oh my god! Right? He's not. He's not stupid, right? He's just not there, right? But he's, but he's so freaking adorable in this role. You know, as far as a gangster though, and you say that he's not stupid, I don't think it's stupid, but I think it's very like. Lowell and Hardy inspired. Oh God, yes. Absolutely. Between him and Aldo, right? That's like Rosencrantz and Gildenstern right there. Like it's, Or the Three Stooges. Like just like Yes. Bumbling yes. like lovable idiot. Well, like. there, well, there's the scene where like, you know, Stallone lines the two of them up and he's about to smack both of them there, right? Uh it's it is. It's very three stooges. And, and yeah. I, I I want to see this play. There was a lot of physical humor yeah. in this. And it was just, it's just so funny. I love this movie. Like, I have nothing bad to say about this movie. <laughs> it is, it's not just not that bad. It's a damn good movie. Right. This, this, this is one of those films that if it's ever on TV, and there's the thing, it's never on TV. Right. This is one of those films where if if you don't have like the and I'm going to say it, if you don't have the freaking VHS of this, uh, good luck trying to find anywhere to watch it. It's just one of those movies that for some reason has fallen through the cracks, but is an absolute freaking gem and holds up today. Right. Because it's a stage play, because it's just a comedy of errors, you can watch this film Literally doing the math here 
31 years later. Dear Mervish Theater, <laughs> we need to make Oscar happen. Oh my God. If we're ever. Oscar for 23. That's, I'm starting the petition now. If we're ever in a city that has Oscar happening on a stage play, like if we're ever in New York and it's like off, 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 off Broadway to the point that it's in New Jersey, we're going to go. Even a high school production. <laughs> like. Oh, anyone? Or are anyone? Your, are your kids in the plate? No, we came from Toronto to go see this. Oh, that's creepy as hell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on, though. Uh, Aldo the Butler is played by Peter Rygert. Um, How was he for you? <laughs> so great. <laughs> so I'll get the door. <laughs> <laughs> in every play... At least in every play that I know I've seen, and I'm sure you'll probably agree with this one, because again, you are the big live theater lover of the two of us here. Um, There's always one character. And it's not, and it's usually not the main, one of the main stars, but there's always one side character that whenever it's time for them to come out and do the, uh, the curtain call. They get the loudest applause because they have the best lines. They are the they are the the absolute funniest of the show. They're there to keep you you know, entertained through the main story. I guarantee you, in the in the stage play, Aldo probably gets the most laughs or the biggest applause at the end of the night. He's just that kind of character, mm-hmm. right? If you think about, and we we have just gone to see. Um, Harry Potter and the and the Cursed Child, and the girl who plays um, Moaning Myrtle, Moaning Myrtle, indeed, right? A huge, huge applause for her at the end, right? Again, not a major character, just like in like really one scene of the play, but oh my god, stole the show, mm-hmm. right? I wonder though how much of that. Now, don't get me wrong, she was fantastic. The mm-hmm. actress, the stage play. Um, actress who played Moaning Myrtle was brilliant. She played it perfectly um, to what you would expect from the movie. However, where I'm going with this is Moaning Myrtle is such an iconic character in and 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 not she's not necessarily one of the main ones that you tend to think of when you think Harry Potter but just such an iconic character that she even has her own space at Hogsmeade. (laughs) If you've ever gone to Orlando and the Islands of Adventure and you're in Hogsmeade and you go into the bathroom, you will hear Moaning Myrtle. So because of that, because she is, again, just she's that character that it's almost kind of like, I don't know, like... It's a breath of fresh air in the story along the way, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just such a part of the story. Um, But anyway, uh, that was my diatribe on Harry Potter. Um, (laughs) (laughs) In a podcast episode about a 1991 comedy about a gangster trying to go straight. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but yeah, then here we are. But uh, back to the butler who, you know, it's always the butler who did it. Yeah. Um, What I liked is the contrast is that... He was definitely the smarter of the two croonies. And so sarcastic. And he was so, yeah, like he was, he was the one that, you know, he'd be asked to do something and then under his breath or as soon as like the room is clear, 
<laughs> he, he says what's on his mind. Yeah. And I like that. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I'll get it. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Right. Oh it's like, God. um, that's your job. But you know. Yeah. Anyway. They, you, you can tell too, like even this, even the scene where it's like, you know, you know, uh, you know, taking the people's hats off their heads kind of thing and toss them onto the hook. Oh right? yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah. I wonder how many takes that took. I don't know, but it's brilliant. But but that's the thing. And even the double take allowed, you know, from Anthony to see, like, wait, you just did that kind of thing? Can I just say though, that I felt he was more of a gangster than Mr. Provolone? Because you could just tell that, I mean, he would have popped um, Anthony. Yeah. You know, like one or two of these visits, you know, by the time he's bringing the bag and- like, yeah, <laughs> he was, he was just, he was very much, I think he was the tough guy, yeah. you know? Well, so I was like, you know, you know, come on, man, you know, the rule don't, don't witness anything. It's better for your health. Right. But yeah, Aldo during the criminal days would be the one to go out and, you know, do the know, hit. Exactly. Do the hit, do the drive by kind of thing. You know, snaps is the business guy. Snaps is the, is the leader. He doesn't get his hands dirty for nothing. Aldo's the guy who would probably go out and do it. Um, but I loved him in this. Cause again, it was just such such sarcasm such snark it was so great so much fun i need to enunciate for this next one though because we're going to talk about dr pool as played by one tim curry um again i recognize the wide breadth of filmography that tim curry had during his career um this is one of my favorite roles of his. But how is Dr. Poole for you? Oh, he was so funny. And here's some more money. Oh, my God. And more money. <laughs> and, and, oh. and, and here's a lovely $20 bill. <laughs> <laughs> I I love the unexpected twist because, I mean, as far as like looks and charm, you would not tend to expect Lisa to be drawn to him at all. Like, I have to wonder how, why, Mm -hmm. why? But, um, you know, (laughs) I love Tim Curry. (laughs) You know what? Like, from his Rocky, the other Rocky. Dr. Frank Furry, yeah. (laughs) His Rocky Horror Picture Show days. Oh, and and let's not forget Clue. Oh, like God, yeah. like Clue is such a good film too. Like literally anything Tim Curry does is amazing. Unless it's creepy as hell Pennywise in the TV movie for it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, now you're now you're like, hmm. Um Forgot about that one. Before we move on though with the with the rest of the cast here, I need to stop for a second because you 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 just went there with one of my favorite lines from this film. And it brings up the point that this film, again, I my personal take on this is that the, the, the hallmark of any good comedy is that it is infinitely quotable. This film is so freaking quotable. Like how many times do you sit there and go, he is money and he is more money <laughs> right yeah. or or even even something to throw away and say yeah you feel this is very soft it's like a baby's behind <laughs> <laughs> like you're going to find yourself quoting this film in regular ordinary daily conversation to the point that people are going to sit there and go you feeling okay and laughing out loud you know it's like you said like this is very much a theater going or at least 
see in the theater mm. um, because watching it at home, I mean, yeah, it's just you watching it laughing, yeah, which is fine, but um, but again, as as a a full theater, you know, you would get that like loudness of the the laughter, yeah. Okay, uh, getting back to the cast here. Uh, Toomey, the cop, is played by Kurtwood Smith. Uh, you, of course, know him as the father on that 70s show. Uh, how was Toomey for you? <laughs> oh, you could you could just tell. You could see where it was going the entire way, right? He's watching the house and kind of almost doing the narration of, hey, there he is again. He's got the bag again. Like, yep. you know, like completely clueless to what is actually happening but just trying to follow because the bag comes and goes and then goes again and <laughs> yeah you, like you know they're keeping score on this one here and it's just like i love the ego on to me right like just the 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 ego so big that it, he can only fall down because of it right and it's funny too because like I, I know we occasionally sit there and go well who else would be really good in this role and the only person that came to mind that you know if i were ever to recast it maybe wallace sean who of course uh played vicini from uh the princess bride inconceivable but i think there's something about kurtwood smith where his accent was perfect for this his demeanor was perfect for this new york cop like how about a bruce willis no 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 hmm. Just no. I could see it. Eh. I mean, I will give Bruce Willis a, a, a world of credit because he occasionally picks up these small roles where you're like, how the hell did they get Bruce Willis into there? But I know he takes a lot of these small roles, a lot of them basically on passion projects, right? Or by, you know, my buddy called me up, said he's doing this film, they got this role. I'm like, okay, I'll have some fun. I'm sure St- Stallone could make it happen. Well, maybe. Or he would put in, um, help me out here, Judge Dredd played his... Oh, Armando Sante. Or are you thinking Rob Schneider? Rob Schneider. Yeah. Yeah, No, no. I I don't want Rob Schneider (laughs) anywhere near this. I would rather have Armando Sante as Toomey as opposed to Rob Schneider. But no, I think Kurtwood Smith played the perfect 1930s gangster New York era you know, cop that was too big for his britches. Or maybe um, a Richard Gere. No. No, too suave. Too suave. You think so? I, I could see Richard Gere as Dr. Poole. Kind of the weathered cop, kind of. Yeah, no. You could picture he's drinking the bourbon no. after a shift. Although, that being said, uh, you get the guy who played uh, uh, Detective Bullock from the Tim Burton Batman films, and now we're talking. <laughs> oh, hey, you want a drink? Well... Alcohol paid for most of this house. Uh, no, because alcohol is bad. It's prohibition. Exactly. Um, Kirk Douglas is Snaps' dying father. Holy crap. Holy crap. Like, freaking love Kirk Douglas. But how is he for you? I actually didn't realize it was Kirk Douglas until now. Really? Yeah, he <laughs> Makeup, right? They made him look very no, aged. No, they're, 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 well, keep in mind, this is Kirk, not Michael Douglas. That's Kirk Douglas. 
right? Michael's father. Yeah, Kirk Douglas was like, he was just so much fun in this. By the way, um, Kirk Douglas, if you ever want to have Kirk Douglas like in a ton of fun, he's in a movie called Tough Guys, and it was so much fun. Like, just, oh my God. The, the Kirk Douglas having fun is the best Kirk Douglas. And again, we are talking to the guy who played freaking Spartacus here. So the fact that he's sitting there, you know, really giving snaps the gears in this, right? From this deathbed, like straight up guilting him the whole way. Like, I loved this. It was so much fun because, because it was an actor of his stature in that role. And as an opening scene, it sets the tone for everything, right? Before you get to the claymation. Which, you know, how many days after watching the movie would we just break into that <laughs> Yeah, to the point tune. our kids were telling us to shut the hell up. Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> for that reason alone, yeah, you know. Pretty much. Um, but yeah, like, when you have a small, fun role like that, it's so much fun to put someone, like a big name, like a Kirk Douglas in there. That That's always too much fun. Uh, a couple of smaller roles to talk about here. Jocelyn O'Brien, who played Nora the Maid. Uh, how was Nora for you? Excellent. Oh, she was, she was so like, she could hold her own, mm-hmm. you know, she was perfect. Yeah. She was, she had some stage sass going with Nora. Mm-hmm. Like I, again, very much like Marissa Tomei. Like I, I do wonder, and I, I, I didn't see anything written about, um, preparation, but you know, by the actors for the roles, but I wonder how many of them went and saw the stage play before being in this film. Cause it felt like some of them did. Okay, so before we, uh, there's a couple little things here that still continue here, but I'm going to play a little game with you here, okay? <laughs> I want to play a game with you. Okay, we're not covering Saw. That's a okay? whole other movie. Yeah, that's when we start covering the Saw films, but no, I want to play a game with you. So far, we've spoken about Saw and Harry, It. Harry, and Harry Potter. And yeah, Harry Potter. This is the scariest, scariest podcast about a 1991 comedy starring Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Okay, Lord Voldemort, what you got for me? <laughs> okay, so here's what I'm going to do, okay? I'm going to give you the actor and the role that they played. You tell me if you want to see them on the stage or not. Okay, so you you know, for, for example, Sylvester Stallone as Snaps, stage or not? Like stage or like Like be, be, be in the play? Film. Yeah, be in the play or would you rather have someone else play that role on stage? Okay, so this isn't that I would rather see the cameras on them so I could see the close-up on their face. Exactly. So if you were to take this cast, or take take this movie, put it back on the stage kind of thing. Oh, like, okay, recast. Yeah, exactly. So Stallone as Snaps, on stage or put someone else there? 100% on stage. Really? Yep. I I would put someone else there. I don't know who. I think I'd put someone else there. Uh, Vincent Spano as Anthony Rosano, stage or no? Yeah. On stage. Okay. I, I don't think I would change the cast. I think I, I could just, you know what? I can quash the game right here. There is not, there is not another actor. So first of all, if you were comparing it for film, I couldn't see any of the actors recast. Okay. I'm, I'm going to challenge you on this one though. Elizabeth Barondess, who played Teresa. The one person who you haven't been gushing over in this, would you put her on the stage? I wouldn't replace her. Um, 
I think that she, I mean, her delivery was fine. It was wonderful. I just, I think the character itself was written almost kind of like, at first you think she's very confident and self-assured, and then she gets a little wish-washy, I think. And I'm not sure if it's because of love. It could have, you know, affected her better judgment. But I think, you know what, she is stronger than that. Like, I think she's she's a very strong character. She holds her own against Mr. Provolone as she's, you know, admitting her trail of lies. And then she finds out that, you know what, her mom actually did hook up with Mr. Provolone and he actually is her father. Like... Also, it, it was, spoilers. <laughs> it was all so very... Very stage. Very stage. Yeah. And, you know, um, very convenient. But, again, like, she just kind of... I don't know. In the end, the character disappointed me a little bit. Okay, I have to go here, though. We, we keep saying stage a lot. And I think it's it's no big surprise that, you know, we've talked about this on the show so many times. Staged is one of our favorite shows of all time. Saddle up, Sheeny. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put this to you here. You have you have to put Michael Sheen and David Tennant in one of these roles. Ooh. Okay, hold on. Yeah, we're we are straight up staged stands here, so um We'll, we'll talk about staged as often as we can. Michael Sheen's got to be in this movie. Okay. Who is he? Okay. Uh, can I do Tenant first? Do Tenant first. Okay. okay. David Tennant is Anthony, the banker, the investment okay. guy. Okay. Um, Michael Sheen as Tim Curry's role. As Dr. Poole. Dr. Poole. Because the pronunciation angle, I could a thousand percent see Michael Sheen. Interesting. Oh. I I will agree with you that I think Michael Sheen should have been Dr. Poole or could be Dr. Poole. That would be fine. David Tennant, however, I want him as Aldo. I I want that Tennant snark as Aldo. I, I can see that. Yeah. I, I want I want that that sarcasm from Good Omens brought right into Aldo. Although the brimming with confidence to, you know, sit and tell your boss that you've been stealing from him, I can see Tennant being able to deliver that. No, that's Matt Smith. Ooh. Aha. Yeah, went there. Went there. Okay, one last thing to talk about before we get to our MVPs. And we have to talk about the Fanucci's. Oh, Martin Ferrero and Harry Shear as the Fanucci brothers, right? They make it very nice. They're very soft. They're like a baby behind. (laughs) Oh my God, they're so great. Um, (laughs) What was it about? What was your favorite Fanucci part? Because the Fanucci's were so much fun in this. Oh my God. Gosh, okay. <laughs> when, um, when it was set up that they were hitmen <laughs> instead of tailors, and they were so proudly talking about a job that they just did. Yeah, and they even had a newspaper clipping. <laughs> and he's like, 
you did this? And it was like, what? what they, they were talking about the suit of the deceased body, yeah, yeah. the deceased gangster. Oh, oh, we get a lot of we get a lot of work from this from this photo. And oh my god, it was the funniest. <laughs> it was just the funniest. Like they were perfect. I, I think for me, it was you know aside from the baby's behind line, it was Harry Shearer. Like you know, like oh don't worry, we make it look like we make you look like a banker. Take off your pants. It's like, oh God, that's just this, just the, 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 the bluntness of it was just so brilliant. And then Stallone's face after. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, like that, li- that line doesn't land if Stallone doesn't have the reaction. You know what? And, and he didn't even have to say anything. It was all again. It's it, half of his comedy is in his facial expressions. Yeah. I will say too, like, again, going back to Stallone, like after his father passes away and does the final slap kind of thing, Stallone then breaks the fourth wall and looks down the camera lens. And it's like, right at that moment, you know you're in for a fun ride. Like, I again, full credit also to go, has to go to John Landis. He directed an absolutely fun film. Like, to the point of... I, again, I still hold this up as one of my favorite Stallone films of all time. John Landis, you know, directing brilliance. Don't get me wrong, right? Like, I know originally they were they were thinking of having the guy who directed A Fish Called Wanda, Charles Crichton, to, uh, to direct it. And Fish Called Wanda, that is an 80s classic. That may be one of the top 10 80s films of all time, personal opinion. Fish Called Wanda is brilliant. Fierce Creatures, maybe not so much. But Fish Called Wanda is brilliant. Um, But John Land has definitely nailed the landing on this. You know what? Now that you mention A Fish Called Wanda, I don't know where I got this, but I would love to see John Cleese in this. John Cleese... As maybe the, the butler. As maybe. Aldo? Yeah. yeah I, I can see him as Aldo, but although that being said... Kevin Klein as Anthony Rosano. Mm. Mm, now we're talking here. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. All right. You cannot hide from this anymore. It is time. Oh, I'm ready. All right, Carrie, who is your MVP of 1991's Oscar? You know what? I got I got to go with Nora. Really? Yeah, yeah. I actually, I, I was sitting here thinking... Are, are you even going to mention her? Does she even get an honorable mention? We did talk about her. We talked yeah, about Jocelyn no, O'Brien. Yeah. I know, but it was so, you know, far into So the, late in the game, yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought she was, again, she was so funny. Um, she was pivotal in Lisa's, you know, story or it, like how it went down that, you know, oh, she's like, it's okay, just... Tell tell them you're pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> can, can I talk to you now? Right? <laughs> yeah. And then of course when she, when she shows back up with like you know the fur coat and whatnot because she's marrying Bruce Underwood kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, it's ah. Uh, you I, know, and and the fact that she actually returned the jewels. You she know, did. I mean, numerous times. She she totally could have just. I mean, she's marrying. He's a gangster too, right? Yeah. So she could have just taken them and run. Like, you know, she owed um, 
Mr. Provolone nothing. nothing. Yeah. You know, she, she left. Oh, what was it? Um, and she was like, I expect the day's pay. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, yeah, no, I, I liked her. I liked her a lot. Again, I can see that character, especially either both on stage and on film. Like, Oh, absolutely. Oh, she, she would have been so brilliant on stage. She would have been the character in the, um, in the encore that would get a loud applause. Okay. Well, I mean, my MVP is probably the person that would come up beside her during the applause section. And that's Peter Rygard who played Aldo. Like there was just something about, you know, his sarcasm, his wit, his timing, like just the everything about him. And the funny thing is he played a very stage play a uh, stage role as far as Aldo goes, but he played to the camera so well. Like he found the perfect balance I found. It's interesting because I did not see that coming. I thought you would have picked Tim Curry, Mr. Poole. I mean, Tim Curry's is is a genius anytime he's on screen, right? But there was something with Peter Rygard. Mm-hmm. Where and, and I think maybe it's the weight of expectation, right? When Tim Curry's on screen, you expect the absolute best. And you always get it. Mm-hmm. Right? No oh, matter he brought it. Oh, oh, exactly. But Peter Rygart, right? Like, I am not familiar with his work, really. And I'd have to go back and take a look at his filmography to see if there's anything I actually recognize there. So it's a it's such a pleasant surprise to, to like, he really stood out in this. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he was such a scene stealer, right? In a movie that is a ton of wonderful scenes, he stole a lot of them. It was brilliance from him. Like, just really appreciated what he brought. I mean, and again, same thing with Jocelyn O'Brien, right? Whenever she was on screen, she she stole the scene. And I think, you know, I, I think credit has to be given to Stallone, right? In that, you know, he, by, by this point, we're, you know, five Rockies in, at least two Rambos. I can't remember when Rambo 3 came out. Um, I actually, I think it was Rambo 3 came out after this. Right. Tango and cash, you know, um, lock up over the top. Right. There's so many, there was such a filmography already. Like people forget, I think just how huge Stallone was. Right. So to be in this movie, to allow himself to have fun and Really, to let the other actors around him shine and make the scene, the ego was checked at the door. The ego was absolutely checked at the door because while he's great in this, he plays it at a level where everyone else makes it fun around him. And that's 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 just smart. Mm-hmm. That's just absolutely smart. Like, across the board... Like, across the board, this film is funny as hell. It's it's an ensemble comedy as far as I'm concerned, because everyone brought it. Very much. And can I just add that Marissa Tomei was unfairly maligned. Aha! Ah, because she really did play the character of Lisa very well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she played her spoiled, which is what Lisa should have been. Exactly. And this is Marissa Tomei. And that's acting. That, that's Aunt May we're talking about here. So, 
you know, <laughs> she she was she was so so good yeah. in that role. Oh, absolutely. And played it so well and I applaud her. I don't think that she should have. No one no. no one should have been mentioned to the Razzies at all for this. Like I I appreciate people you know, say you know, seeing Stallone as a gangster in a comedy and shaking their heads in 1991. But go back and watch this, right? Go back and recognize that Stallone's is, is you know, it can be funny. He absolutely and this again, in my opinion, was the start of a stretch of some very good underrated films. Demolition Man should go down as actually one of his best because it's so smart. And it's so, it's it's an action film and a comedy and a social commentary. Like, there's so much to Demolition Man that, that people have basically said, like, yeah, it it was liked enough, but it gets liked more and more and more. And you see that on TV networks all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I do have a question, however. Um, and again, I, I'm not out to recast Marissa Tomei at all. But could you see Madonna in the role of Lisa? No. No. And the reason I say that is because of her role in Dick Tracy. Yeah. I think she could have very well played the, you know, spoiled, rich, whiny daughter of a gangster. I think I think Madonna could have quite easily, but you had mentioned Marissa Tomei's voice that maybe you didn't dig it, the, it's, it's the just nasal because because it was clearly, tone. you know, it was very a stage-like performance. Right. And again, may, again, maybe it's just me, maybe I'm just having friend Drescher, you know, uh So I think Madonna stress. would be a good choice. Although I tell you right now, Right now, if they made this movie, if they remade this movie today, Lisa is played by Kristen Ritter. Um, no, hold on. I need uh, Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga, eh? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Kristen Ritter is way more fun, though. I, I, I think she could make it fun. No, no, I'm a Kristen Ritter stan. It's all good. Um, you could almost see Kristen Ritter as Teresa, or the the mom, Lisa's mom, not the other daughter's mom. You can put Kristen Ritter as the mom. How awesome. young? How young is the, how young is Teresa at this point? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, how she, she's getting older, isn't she? Dear Kristen Ritter, don't listen to this. My wife is calling you old now. Oh, dear. Oh. Oh. (laughs) I've seen Jessica Jones. She'll kick your ass. (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, So basically what we're trying to say is this. Go watch Oscar. It is a ton of fun. Carrie, thank you so much for this. And to you, our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of It's Not That Bad. Now, uh, here's the drill. If there is a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned, much like Marissa Tomei was, or you think is so bad that there's no way in hell that we can find anything good to say about us, hit us up on Twitter as long as it lasts, at NotThatBadCast. Also, you can now find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash NotThatBadCast. Um, please do, by all means, follow and like the page, because if Twitter ever goes down, guess where we're going to be. Uh, until next time, I'm Jay. She's Carrie. You're awesome. This is It's Not That Bad. Take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.